0: Uh, we are picking up if you've not been with us, if you 're visiting with us maybe for the first time or summer's had you in and out. We are in week 10 of a study of the life of Moses, from basket to casket. So we have spent ten weeks walking through uh, kind of an overview through the Old Testament and looking at the life of Moses and you 've had uh, different books of the Bible you 've had different communicators, and today, what we want to try to do is kind of put a bow on this. But in order to do that, we kind of have to wrap up c- connect the previous nine weeks. And I'm going to attempt to do that in about 30 seconds as best I can, if you'll lean with me. So full disclosure, we're going to try to compress this. We may leave something out. If so, just assume that I believe it's there and you'll trust it there. And we go back and look at God's word. The second thing is the head's going to be shiny all morning. So if that's new to you, that, like it's not going to be any different, maybe you, maybe you can reposition your head. But the best way that I could sum up 10 weeks or nine previous weeks, and looking at the life of Moses with this. We have seen for nine weeks, story after story, chapter after chapter of two things. God's unchanging faithfulness, time and time again for his people, and man's consistent unfaithfulness. And so what we've seen is God shows up, and he shows out in a powerful, undeniable way, and people are excited, and they get spiritual amnesia, And they complain, and God says, let me remind you who I am. Let me come through and provide for you again. And people are excited and relieved for a moment, and they complain. And we've said this repetition thing. The other thing that we've seen in the process of this happening is that for many of us, the idea of Moses, this giant of the faith, this just spiritual elite, I mean, here's the guy that had the face-to-face conversation with the Lord multiple times. He gets to speak to God and hear from him in an audible voice in the burning bush. And so for a lot of us early on, perhaps even in this series, we've said, man, I'm nothing like Moses. I could be nothing like him. And if you're with us last week, we got to see a very different side of Moses, a very human element. In fact, when Moses gets verbal face-to-face instructions from God and he decides to take his own path and in that just kind of puts it in the ditch. And because of that, there's some serious consequences when Basically, the exchange is that it's not just that he disobeys God, but he kind of tries to steal the limelight from God. And we see that Moses, this spiritual giant, is maybe a lot more like us than we realize. Maybe we don't identify him with those elite levels, but in those moments where it's like, man, I know what God's word says. I just found myself doing the opposite. That's where we found ourselves. And today, we're going to find yet another humanizing aspect of Moses and the fact that um, we're going to see what happens at the end of his life. So this whole series, week number 10, from basket to casket, we're approaching the casket. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to be hanging out in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 34, is where we're going to be spending our time this morning. And so as we get a chance to get there, Deuteronomy chapter 4, um, I want to make a statement that I don't think it's going to take much convincing uh, for you to be on the same page with me. That would be this, that time is precious, time is limited, and time is very sneaky. Now, here's what I mean by that. We have somewhere in the uh, area of 30 to 45 minutes left together in this room. Some of you are cheering more for that 30 minutes and against that 45, but uh, that's somewhat predictable. Um, We're about four months away from Christmas. For some of you, that seems like a long way away. And for some of you, you're like, I'm already behind. All right. Uh, You heard Pastor Michael reference that just a minute ago, that we're about seven weeks, Lord willing, to being on the other side of the renovation and being back into uh, the worship center. And so those things kind of all make sense. But here's where life and time can be sneaky. Have you ever heard these words? About three weeks. That's what you or maybe a loved one has left. And maybe a medical professional would say something like, hey, about, about three weeks, and we'll try as best we can to make, make you or to make him or her as comfortable as possible. When those things happen and time sneaks up on us, and I, so many things go through our head. There's so many things that are unknown and that have been left undone um, I have a good friend that always says it this way, says it time and time again. He says, the end of our life will always say one of two things. I'm really glad I did or really wish I had. That we tend to go back and we have perspective at the end that we can't go back and change. And so at this point, we're looking at the end of Moses' life. And we realize that in the life of Moses, just like for myself and for all of you, recent surveys have showed 100% of people will die at some point. Right? We don't like to think about that, but the reality is that day is coming for all of us. And so what we want to do today, the main idea that we want to chase after, in the book of Deuteronomy in chapter 34 is going to help us with, is this idea of going to the casket with confidence. Going to the casket with confidence. Now, the way that life works is, for some of us, there's a long runway before we do that. For some of us, we may have ways to prepare for that. And For some of us, nobody wakes up on their last day knowing, well, this is the day. But what we're going to see is some principles and some examples in Deuteronomy chapter 34 of God's faithfulness, Moses' interaction, and what we can learn and take away from that. So I want to invite you to stand to your feet, if you will, for just a minute. And we're going to read out of the book of Deuteronomy chapter 34, beginning in verse 1. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which faces Jericho. And the Lord showed him all of the land, Gilead as far as Dan, all of Nephtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh. All the land of Judah, as far as the Mediterranean Sea, the Negev, and the plain in the valley of Jericho, the city of Palms, as far as Zor. The Lord said to him, him being Moses, this is the land that I promised Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I will give it to your descendants. I have let you see it with your own eyes, but you will not cross into it. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the Lord's word. He, being the Lord, buried him in the valley in the land of Moab facing Beth Peor, and no one to this day knows where his grave is. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left him. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Joshua, son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded Moses. No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his officials, and to all of his land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all of Israel. Let's pray. Lord God, your word speaks. And it carries the power of life and death. And God, it does two things for us this morning. God, it reveals your heart and it gives us the opportunity to see the reality of our own hearts. So God, we pray that through the power of your word, through the spirit at work in us, God, that you would show us yourself this morning. God, we would see your heart that is unchanging. God, that we would see the heart of Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. And because of that, God, we would not be informed about how you are, but God, we would be transformed because of who you are and who you call us to be. In your name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So this idea of facing the casket with confidence, what does that look like? What did it look like for Moses? Now, just again, as a brief way to catch up, Moses, when he chose to disobey and did not let the Lord have the holiness spotlight, God didn't say, hey, because you're less than perfect, because Moses had messed up before, we mess up. But he said, because you, you were not content with the Lord having the holiness spotlight. He said, Moses, I'm going to be faithful, but you're not going to get to be a part of that. But the first thing that we're going to see that, that we can have confidence when we approach the casket, whether it's 100 years from now or 100 minutes from now, is the first thing we see is that there's a purpose completed. And we see that kind of spelled out and walked out in verses 1 through 8. That as we read earlier, that when God brings Moses up on this mountain and he is showing him, all of this land. Now, again, Moses has never stepped foot in here. He has heard the Lord speak and say, Hey, I'm going to take you. He's described it, but Moses has never laid eyes on this land. And as he's at the top of this, and he's got this bird's eye view and he's looking in, the Lord is describing it to him, and it's very interesting. He describes it. I mean, there's some, there's some landmarks that are in there, but he describes it throughout the verses in the land of Moab. It says, uh, it's, It says that the land I've promised your descendants, I will let you see it the land of Dan and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, he is pointing to it and he's describing, hey, this is where this tribe is going to be. They're going to be here. And, and so just for our mind, it's almost as if the Lord is, is letting him see. It's almost like seeing a house that's not finished, but the studs are up and someone's saying, hey, this back room, this is going to be the family room. And so we're going to have Christmas dinner out here and we're going to have Thanksgiving here. And hey, and the kids, their room is going to be here and here. And even better yet, the grandkids that, that you don't even know yet and the great grandkids, they're gonna, they're gonna play out in this area and the Lord is giving Moses an opportunity to see what God has promised to be faithful about from the time that they first began these dialogues. But I want you to remember, the Lord is showing him this for two reasons. He's showing, he's showing Moses his faithfulness, but Moses never gets to step foot in there. I've always been intrigued by this as a, as a teenager, as a, as a young adult, as a pastor, of going, hey, at the point when God made it crystal clear, he said, "Moses, I'm going to be faithful and you don't get to go." At what point, knowing what my heart is like and wondering what Moses' heart is like? At what point did he not just say, "Well, then I'm going to pick up my marbles and go home." This is what these people complain. We're wandering around, we're picking up manna every day like I'm out because I'm not going to do all this and not get to go into it. Why does he stay with it? I think in my own heart as a dad, when, when, when your kids are little or your grandkids are little and you go somewhere, maybe you've had this conversation. You're going to an amusement park or a ball game and you say, hey, if you ever get lost, we're going to come right back here to the entrance. See, we've got this big thing right here. You're going to come right back here and if you get lost, we'll meet here. And I think what the Lord does here with Moses, what happens in Moses' heart is when he has those moments of why would I continue, is he goes back to where it all began. It goes back to that face-to-face encounter with God in the burning bush, and God's saying, Moses, here's who I am, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm inviting you to be a part of that. And what we see is that God has held up his end of the bargain every single time, and that Moses gets it right, and Moses gets it wrong, and God is undeterred by Moses' lack of perfection. See, in that moment, his faith had become sight. What he knew that the Lord was calling him to, he's actually getting to lay his eyes on it and see, and God's saying, hey, I just want you to to see right here, this is where it's happening. I'm just as honest as I've always been, but you're actually getting to see this. I think the other part, the takeaway for us is that Moses had a purpose for his life. He had some tasks, but he didn't, didn't just have goals. You know, goals have a shelf life. Purpose is constant. The great football coach Tony Dungy said it this way. "It says, goals have a beginning and an end. Purpose doesn't. Purpose is what we live for. I think that's worth reading again, not because a coach said it, because of what the Lord calls us to. That goals have a beginning and an end, and purpose doesn't. Purpose is what we live for. And just in Moses' life, when God calls him and says, "Hey, you're going to be—I'm going to use you to be part of leading my people out of slavery into the promised land." The Lord has purpose for our lives. He has purpose for the life of our church, and has a purpose for your life group and for this congregation. But you, as an individual, the Lord has purpose. For your life. And it's not deterred by your track record. Meaning if you knock it out of the park this next week and then life happens and you mess it up, it doesn't it's not like God says, well, we gotta have a do-over, gotta find somebody else. That God's faithfulness is unchanging and he invites us to continue on the path. But God's faithfulness there for Moses, Moses doesn't get to go in the promised land. He leads his people as God said he would, and the people get to, and he fulfills that purpose in the immediate sense. And I'm going to ask this rhetorically, but I want you to reflect on it because I've had to ask myself a lot of this this week. For his life, the reality was him fulfilling God's purpose didn't necessarily line up with his plans. I'm not a genius, but I feel pretty confident if we could go back in time and say, Moses, if God said, Moses, what would you like to do? Go into the promised land or die outside of it and be buried here? I'm thinking he would pick to go in. Everybody would. And yet there are times in the life of Moses and the life of Mark Cole and in your life to where you fulfilling the purpose of God may not line up with the plans that you had envisioned, but it doesn't mean that God's plans are wrong. God's purpose was wrong. Maybe it was our perspective. And so Moses doesn't get to experience that by setting foot, but he gets to sit in that part. And I would say this, even in his track record of messing it up, when he steals a spotlight from the Lord, he disobeys. Even when you're done, God's not done on both ends of the spectrum. So if you've you've lived life and you've just made mistake after mistake and just you have royally made a mess of it. Your heart will tell you hang it up. The world will tell you damage good and the lord would say nothing's changed. The goal is still the goal. Your purpose is still the purpose. You're not done if you've messed it up. On the other end of the spectrum If you have been faithful as you know how to be with the Spirit alive in you and doing, and you say, you know what, I've been doing this. It's just time for me to do something else. I think the Lord would say to all of us, it's never too late to start. It's always too soon to quit on the purposes he has called us to. And we see that. The Lord's not done with him. He's still going to use him. But I think it's amazing that we get to see some human heart in this. In verse 6, it says that the Lord buried Moses there. And it says, to this day, no one knows where he's buried. Now, there could be some things in there that are like, well, what's the deal? Is that bad record keeping? What's going on? I think there's two things we see about the Lord's heart in this. One, it says that the Lord buried him. That even in Moses' life, ups and downs, even in his death, the Lord said, there's still dignity. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to bury you. But there's that part of like, nobody knows where, where, where he's buried. What's up with that? That just seems odd. That seems peculiar. It seems like God, like you have a purpose. What would that be? I think what the Lord understood is that the Israelites, this had been their leader. This had been their go-to. For so many times, they were quick to remember what Moses had or hadn't done, and they would go to him, and they would forget, hey, like we're going to Moses, but to hear from the Lord. We're not going to Moses because he's the most interesting man in the world. We're going to hear from Moses because he has heard from the Lord, and that their human hearts would be this. And I would say that many of us fall into this category, whether it's a daily time, a weekly pattern, a monthly pattern, is that the human heart is prone to sit at the grave of a dead man, way faster than we are to sit at the feet of a living God. We believe that maybe if something would just happen, if maybe uh, somebody in our workplace or somebody in a political force had just, if they had just still been on earth, things would somehow be different. If maybe a family member that God, that's a gift from the Lord. If they were just here that somehow things would be easier and our purpose would be more clear and the Lord would say, those things probably could help, but you can sit at my feet and I'm the well of living water that doesn't run dry. And yet, what is God doing? God's saying, hey, I'm eliminating that possibility for you because you have some focus problems. I need you to focus on me. I want the glory. I want you to see who I am. We see this, that whether it's their shortcomings in the life of Moses, whether it's not having their leader in this feeling of desperation, that the promise of Philippians 1.6 that says these familiar words, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it out, carry it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what that verse doesn't say. It doesn't necessarily say that he who started a work in you will make sure that you're the one who takes it across the finish line. It says if God started the work, he'll be faithful and it on to completion. And for some of our lives, we get to carry the ball from here all the way across the finish line. And for some of us, we get to take it here. And then somebody else is going to take it here. And then someone else is going to take it the next step. And it doesn't change God's purpose or his faithfulness but does call us to say, hey, God, I want to be faithful to what you've called me to, not just, God, tell me what the prize is and then I'll play your game. Because God is the prize. His presence, his nearness, his faithfulness is what he calls us to. If God started it, you and I can't end it, nor can we finish it. He buries him. But in Deuteronomy 34, 7, it says some interesting, powerful words for every single one of us in the room, from the youngest to the oldest to all in between. In verse 7, says these words, Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not weak, and his vitality had not left him. 120 years, that's a pretty good run. Humanly speaking, after 120 years, he's earned the right to go, somebody else can do it. I'm just tired. Or better yet, in, in church language that surely none of you would ever use, but probably people in the other venues, I mean, right? People say things like, well, that's just how God made me. That's just how I am. And the heart of God would say, well, no, that's how you were born, but I am making you more and more like the image of Christ and less and less like yourself, that I am sure that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, not the day of Mark Cole's last breath, not to the day of your last breath, until the day of Christ Jesus. So we all have a part to play in that process. But here's what I love. It says that when Moses takes his last breath, like his body was still vibrant. He still had something to give. It didn't say like he had a good run and he was like old yeller, just take him out. His eyes could still see. He still had vitality. So here's the question for all of us, right? Because none of us with age, our eyes don't tend to get better, right? None of us say at whatever stage we are, none of us go, you know... I'm glad that 17-year-old Mark didn't have to mess with 45-year-old Mark because all of us get that there's a youthfulness and an energy that comes with those things. But here's the question. What can you see at this current stage of your life? What can you see? Not optically. What can your heart see that's not based on your eyes, but it's based on your Savior? Because what happens with all of us is we develop spiritual cataracts, A film that goes over and that clouds and it doesn't change what's out here it just puts something before us that it limits what we can see and that for some of us it may be that just like hey I had more to give physically at another point in my life but spiritually that's the one thing that we should become stronger and stronger with each day that we're given that we would still have eyes to see what the Lord is doing and say yeah I I realize like this world is a crazy place Man, I realize life is lifey. It'll knock you down and keep coming, but that changes nothing about the faithfulness of God. That if anything, our spiritual vitality should grow and grow and grow and grow. Not just go, man, I've done all that. I'm just tired of doing that. We would chase after the Lord. Moses this whole time had led towards a goal he, would never, he had never personally seen, but it's a gift of God. It's God's grace. And God doing that, it doesn't change one thing about God. It doesn't make God nicer or more sovereign because Moses got to see that. He was faithful to complete what he said, but it's a grace gift. It's God's kindness in this moment for him to basically say to Moses, hey, Moses, I'm showing you this, and it's not because my goodness and faithfulness, that's not on trial. I want my glory to be on display. I want for you, even in your dying breast, to be able to say, man, I saw what the Lord promised he was doing. Even though he didn't have to show me, he chose to show me. He gave me exposure to see what his hand was doing in his faithfulness. Many of you remember Mark Feltz, who was a member of our church for a long time, that just, he loved the Lord in his life, uh, got cancer, and he didn't know how much time he had. And he would say things on occasions in large groups and small groups and one-on-one conversations, words like this. He'd say, hey, I can't die until Jesus says so. And so for him, it wasn't this thing of like, people might say things like, man, he was gone too early. He's like, man, when I die, it'll be right on time. And I won't take my last breath until Jesus says so. Henry Martin once said these words, he said, I'm immortal until God's work for me to do is done. The Lord reigns. Meaning that we are so positioned to live in fear and to think, well, this is gonna happen and this might happen, this might happen. The Lord would say, no, what'll happen is my purposes. And we don't get to know the time, which is precious and fleeting. So we see that there is a purpose that's fulfilled. God's purpose in his life is completed. Second thing that we see that can help him approach this casket with confidence Is there a successor empowered? It talks about Joshua, the son of Nun, being filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid hands on him. So the Israelites obeyed him and did as the Lord had commanded. Now we know the Bible is true. We know in this moment, Moses actually does it. He lays hands on Joshua. But we know that it's more than just that. That Moses is not going... Got a few minutes here. I got some unfinished business. Hey, Joshua, I'm Moses. Good to meet you. We need to connect on some stuff. What is he doing? He is doing to Joshua what he has done time after time after time over years with Joshua. If you remember, Joshua is one of the spies that goes into the land of Canaan. Is there a matter of fact, when Moses, not in his best moment, the spies come back and everybody's saying, these guys are huge. There's no way. Joshua and Caleb are going, no, we can take this. Let me tell you why. The Lord is with us. And Moses says, eh, guys, we're not going to go. They've had that moment they've been on different sides of the decision. Joshua has been right there to see Moses at his best moments and his worst moments. There are times that we know deductively and in scripture that in the life of Moses and Joshua, there were times that Moses said, hey, Joshua, let me me tell you something. Let me tell you about what the Lord did before you walked this earth. Let me tell you about his faithfulness. There were times when he said, hey, Joshua, I want you to come with me. There were times that he probably said, Joshua, I need you to be here. That's not just, hey, come with me. I can't do this without you. There had to have been conversations where he just verbally spoke over and said, Joshua, I see this in you. I see that the Lord has prepared you for this. And times that he would speak over Joshua and remind him of God's faithfulness, about what God promised to do and what he's in the midst of doing. And it's the influence over time that Moses had in Joshua's life. And that's why we, we don't take moments like what we prayed for our teachers and administrators. It's not, that's not to check a box or to, to feel good about something we do. That we believe that, that in our lives, that when we make deposits over time with those that are under our spheres of influence, whether it's in our household, our place of employment, as a teacher, as a coach, as a mentor, as a grandparent, as a neighborhood person, that those commitments, those drops, time after time after time, they fill a bucket. And that the compounding interest of making spiritual de- deposits in others can never be overstated. What did Moses do? He had a successor that was empowered. And we'll look in the weeks to come of what Joshua did in that moment. God's faithful. God's got a purpose and you get to be a part of it for your season. Be had a successor. Nowhere in the Bible do you see Moses going, hey, Joshua, you can sit there and tell me how great I am. Because the purpose of Moses' life and having a successor wasn't so that it would be Moses 2.0. It's so that there would be someone to lead the people to the things of the Lord, which brings us to our third thing that we see, and that's a legacy secured. That there's not just fulfilling a purpose and not just having a success, a success uh, words are hard this morning, a successor. Not just having someone who can step in and say, hey, repeat, but to go, hey guys, we're going to do everything the Lord called us to do matter of fact, and the Lord's going to take us to new places, places that are unknown. They're literally going into a promised land, which is full of promise, which doesn't mean it's free of adversity. He says God's promised it to it. He's promised he's going to give it to us. He's going to hand it over to us. Listen to these words, though, when it speaks of the legacy that Moses leaves. It says, No prophet has arisen again in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. He was unparalleled for all the signs and wonders the Lord sent him to do against the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and to all his officials, and to all of his land, and for all the mighty acts of power and terrifying deeds that Moses performed in the sight of all Israel. Here it goes again. He is the crim of the crim, right? It's like Moses. The Bible, we, we even said last week that Numbers 12, 3 said it this way, of Moses. Moses was very humble man, more so than anyone on the face of the earth. If I'm sitting here listening to me, I'm going, well, that'd be really nice to leave that legacy. God basically says, best ever, most humble. Like that guy can leave a legacy. What can I do? And ironically, I want you to see the picture of Moses. And again, I'm not Moses, you're not Moses, but we can see aspects of his life that we can say, that's definitely me. God, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever, the same. So God's faithfulness, unchanging. Some of the things that we're gonna see in Moses' life, we could say, yep, that shows up in mine. Think about this. Look at this picture. Moses begins his ministry, Mount Sinai, right? He begins his ministry there. He hears from God. He's going to end his ministry by climbing up a hill. Moses had these moments on a mountain, these these jump off the page, big rock, you know, VBS, big story ideas that we go. That happened on a mountain. That happened on a mountain. Ten Commandments on a mountain. He hears from God. And yet most of his life was lived in a valley. Were mountains part of it? Absolutely. But the vast majority of his life, valley. Matter of fact, wilderness, wandering around, what felt aimlessly in the valley. The Lord heard Moses cry. Moses heard the words of the Lord on a mountain, but he experienced him in the valley. The valleys where Moses saw the Lord move. He heard the promises on the mountaintops. He experienced the faithfulness in the valleys. I need to hear that this morning. That if I were pushing buttons, I would always choose, God, i like to just go from mountaintop. I'd like to go from Everest to Kilimanjaro back to Everest. I, I don't have to always be at the top, but I want to be on a mountaintop. And yet where God chooses to most often reveal his heart to us and solidify the things that not just that we know, but that anchor our souls, those happen in the valley. And in those moments, fleeting moments of his life, he knows his days are numbered. He knows, God, you're going to be faithful and everybody gets to go experience the promised land. I don't get to go. What does he do? He pulls Joshua in and he lays hands on him and he speaks over him truth and blessing. Not just regret, but the truth of who God is. Dependence on God for that spirit. And here's what my Bible doesn't say. I don't think any of yours say that. Moses doesn't pull him aside and say, man, wasn't that neat when we got to be a part of the Red Sea? Man, those were the good old days. Hey, do you remember that? that was, we, that's really, doesn't get any better than that. And yet, God showed out powerfully there. We're supposed to remember that. Scripture calls us to remember it. But if you recall the story of the Israelites all the time to where they get what I call hindsight bias. Remember a couple of weeks ago, they're like, you brought us out here to die. Us, our kids, our animals, everybody, wah, wah, wah. This is horrible. Moses isn't talking about any of that. He is telling him, Remember. The faithfulness of God, what he's called us to, your purpose. He's speaking truth and blessing over Joshua. Here's why that's so important. Verse 8, so sobering as we prepared uh, this passage to preach and just reading it over and over again. Now again, Moses, most humble man to have ever lived. He's a hero of the faith. He spoke face to face with the Lord. And let me just read out loud again verse 8 that talks about his legacy and his life. The Israelites wept for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days. And then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses came to an end. Two things. Customarily, there's 30 days was a mourning and weeping process, but here's just stone-cold reality. Moses, who I think we would all agree, gets it. He did, he did more for the kingdom than I'll ever do. He was that guy, the most humble to ever walk the earth. And the Israelite nation mourned for him for a whole month and then they said, where are we going to lunch today? Uh, who needs milk from the store? What happened? Life still moved on. And it would be short-sighted and foolish of me and short-sighted and foolish of us to think, well, you know what? My legacy is going to live forever. People are going to remember me because I've done so much. And guess what? Everybody in this room has done powerful, impactful things in different areas of your life. But guess what? Your legacy and my legacy will be short-lived. It's very sobering, Right? Mark Finn, we were talking this week, he said this way, he said, you can't dictate how you're remembered, but you can dictate how you live. But you can't dictate how you're remembered. Matter of fact, a recent uh, survey and research showed us this. Found that 34% of Americans don't know about family members further back on their family tree than their own grandparents. 21% can't even give the, the, the name of one great-grandparent in their first name. A third of them can't name all four of their grandparents according to that survey. And again, it said that that 21 don't even know where a grandparent was born and seven don't know if their grandparents did for a living. What am I telling you? One, that's crazy. But the reality is, it doesn't matter if you're the most successful in your field, average at your field, invented, you were the the front runner in your field. Our legacy, as grand as we believe it's going to be, it'll fade. 30 days, they weep for Moses. They were moving on. In this unsettled life of Moses, we're reminded of several things. And here's how we're going to wrap this up. That again, the the life of Moses, it's stories within stories, but the Bible is one congruent story of God's unrivaled, unchanging faithfulness. And so that we would see that in Scripture that as great as Moses did things and the fact that he finished his purpose and that he had a successor and that he left a legacy, that Scripture would remind us that Jesus is the greater Moses. Moses. And I want you just to see the beauty of these parallel things that we can be reminded of. And as our heart, maybe over the last 10 weeks, has, has leaned into these reminders of God's goodness and the stories of Moses and reminders of that or new information. That Moses in his life leaves the palace of Pharaoh to a desert, and yet Jesus steps out of heaven to come to earth. That Moses' purpose is leading the Israelites, the slaves, out of bondage. That Jesus leads sinners out of bondage and the, the slavery of our performance that at the end of his life, we see Moses climbing a mountain to where he is gonna die and that Jesus would walk up Calvary to lay down his life and that the mistakes that Moses made prevent him prevented him from crossing over into the promised land. His shortcomings, when you try to steal God's glory, that for our lives, the sin in my life, my lack of perfection, my propensity to steal the spotlight that is due God and put it on me, that prevents me from stepping into a right relationship with the Lord. In this story, Moses' death must take place before the entry into the promised land. And Galatians 2.20 would say this, if I'm a Christian, if I'm a follower of Jesus, that I have been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I that live, but Christ that lives within me. There's no tomb of Moses. It can't be found. Why? Because they didn't want the focus to be on a dead Moses. They wanted it to be on the living God. There's no body of Jesus because he is alive and we trust in a living Savior. Moses' death preceded the promised land. Jesus' death and resurrection ushers us into the possibility of life eternal. How do we approach the casket with confidence? There's no break strong enough to do that. There's no pause button. We know what our purpose is. And we say, Lord willing, it's best to know how I want to be an active part of fulfilling my purpose. God, I'm not going to get it right. You haven't called me to be perfect, but you've called me to live with purpose. And I want to have successors in line. That means that in the sphere, spheres of influence and in the areas of influence we have, that we have the opportunity to encourage around. So for some of us in this room, that may look like serving in ministries of the church. It may look being a part of a life group, being what the Bible calls iron sharpening iron, just to speak truth and love to one another. It means that even for our students, that they have those relationships with peers and they have relationships with those maybe a year or two younger and just from a practical application, think about this: If you're in the room, and I said, "Hey, I don't know why I'm fascinated with buttons, but I am. If you could push this button, you could have the opportunity over the next couple of years to teach in a life group. Your uh, the 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 son or uh, you have sons, you have daughters. You could teach your future son-in-law or daughter-in-law in like life group, or the or the little boy or the little girl that your grandson or granddaughter is going to marry one day. You could disciple them in the things of Jesus. Guess what would happen? Everybody in here would break a hand trying to smack that button. And here's the reality. He might, but the greater reality is that every kid that comes to a life group, every student that goes through a life group, more than likely will have a husband, will have a wife, will have children, and somebody will either have taken the opportunity to invest in them, to leave a legacy of the things of Christ, or to not. And we have that opportunity. But because Jesus is the greater Moses, Listen to this promise in these words in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 3. For Jesus is considered worthy of more glory than Moses, just as the builder has more honor than the house. Now every house is built by someone, but the one who built everything is God. Moses was faithful as a servant in all of God's household, as a testimony to what would be said in the future. But Christ was faithful as a son over his household, and we are that household if we hold on to our confidence in the hope in which we boast. Meaning that if we don't just understand the story of Jesus and the cross and the resurrection, but that has become our story, then we anchor in that. And that we understand that we have purpose there. That we have a legacy that's more than just, here's some accomplishments and what I did to fill 40, 50, 60 hours a week for a paycheck, but a faith legacy. 10 weeks walking through the unsettled life of Moses. What can we learn? How can we go to the the casket with confidence? We live with purpose up until the very end. We don't know when that's coming. So you know how we prevent that? We live with intentionality. Jesus, I'm gonna chase hard after you today. And if today's my last day, that's how I finish. Jesus, I'm gonna run hard after you for the next 50 years. And if 50 years and one minute's my last breath, then I've accomplished that. We empower others along the way. And we leave a legacy that points to the faithfulness of God in the cross of Jesus. Our names are going to fade. The houses that we live in today, someone will either live in or tear down and build another house in down the road. Five years, 50 years, something. They're temporal. The jobs, the offices that we have, most, most of us, somebody had that job before, and somebody will have that job after. And so we think, man, how do I leave a legacy that lasts and how does our name remember? It's not about that. But our legacy is that our lives are an error to point to the things of Jesus who is unchanging. That we leave that legacy of faithfulness that's found in the cross. And that only happens in Christ. You can't leave a legacy strong enough to carry on that says, well, church is a great thing to be a part of if you can squeeze it into your schedule. And being kind is a great attribute. Those are thumbs up things, but they don't change lives and they don't leave a legacy. It's only in Christ, meaning Christ in me that allows me to value people more than I value myself. It's Christ in me that allows me to serve others. It's Christ in me that allows me a perspective to see things before I can actually see them. That's possible with Christ in me. Apart from Christ, it's not. So this morning, we try to put a bow in these 10 weeks, basket to casket. We look at God's faithfulness. We look at the unfaithfulness of man. And we look at God's heart and his kindness and say, hey, look, it's not dependent on you. It's dependent on me. And God's track record, pretty stinking good. Matter of fact, never messed up. Not once. Come back here next week, same statistics. Come back here 100 years from now, different person, different room, different pews. Guess what? Everything around it will have changed except for one thing. His faithfulness will remain unchanging. We see that played out in a survey in 10 weeks of life of Moses. We see that played out in the pages of Scripture. But my prayer this morning is that you wouldn't just have information where you say, man, I understand what God did, but you would experience what God did through the forgiveness that the cross offers. Would you pray for me? Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for your word and for the faithfulness that is displayed page after page after page. And God, we thank you that just like we see in the life of Moses, that mistakes and shortcomings... God, you don't flee the scene. You don't change your mind about your promises. God, you're faithful. And so we celebrate and remember what you did in the lives of the Israelites and the life of Moses. But God, we're reminded this morning that in our darkest hour, at the non, on the parts of our lives we would never put on a resume. Jesus, you saw us at that point, and that is the point at which you laid down your life on a cross to forgive us and to offer us freedom. So God, I pray that our confidence would be in that, that our hope for purpose would be in the forgiveness of the cross, that as we pull those aside around us for successors and to train up, God, that the, the hope of the cross would be what we impart in them and the confidence in your faithfulness would be the thing that we put before them. And that God, that our legacy would be pointing to you because you're unchanging and your fame will not dwindle. Our names won't matter. Names will fade on our tombstones, but God, your glory will be forever. And we want to leave a legacy that points to that. So, God, I pray this morning that there's someone in this room that doesn't has not experienced what the cross calls them to for their purpose and forgiveness and the hope of life and salvation. The God, that they would hear crystal clear this morning. You offer that to them. And God, for those that know you, God, that call is still extended to have the clarity of that purpose of your glory and your faithfulness on full display. In your name we pray, amen.